0: To All Talk Oncology. I'm your host, Kenny Perkins, AKA the Cancer Guy. Hello, hello, hello. This is Kenny Perkins, AKA your Cancer Guy. And again, as I always say, we have another phenomenal guest. Now, we travel at this point across the continent. Yes, we are going down to Brisbane, Australia. And as I was educated on, it looks like we're going to be having the Olympics there in 2032. So get familiar. Get familiar with that, with that capital there or that city. But what I want to tell you is that our next guest, she is a phenomenal human being and uh she's taking control of her life. In fact, she gave me some space. She's on her way of, on vacation now, but she allowed some space for me. So thank you for that having me or for giving me that space. But you're going to love her. We're going to find out all about her story and I hope what we can do actually empower you from all of the things that she's gone through. So please honor me and allow me to introduce you to our next guest. We're talking about Helen Billy.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Kenny.
0: Oh, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. And thank you so much for joining us here at All Talk Oncology. You know, it's a privilege to have you here on the show, especially from Australia.
1: Down under, yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, that accent that you had, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, my God, I love that accent. I love it. You probably get that a lot.
1: (laughs) You know, the funny thing is um, we were talking before, that. you know, I've traveled overseas. I've been to America a couple of times. And when you come back, you walk into the airport and, um, you know, they announce over the airport. It just sounds awful to me. It's like, you know. Um, I'm just trying to think of an announcement, like everybody go to customs and I'm like, oh, like oh, do we sound like that? That's so awful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: You know, it's such a distinct accent, right? For sure. So, you know, we love it. We got to embrace all of that. So Helen, you know, talk to us here. You know, what is Helen doing out there in Australia? What is your career? What's happening?
1: Okay, so I'm a physiotherapist. I've been working as a, which is like a physical therapist in USA. And I've been doing that for 28 years um, over a range of areas, done out sports, musculoskeletal, occupational health, um, moved into rehab and recently have worked in cancer care and palliative care. And my current job, I work in an over-50s clinic, which is a, oh, absolutely love it. I'll be there for the rest of my career. Um, we're spread over two floors. We've got two gyms and a third exercise space. Uh, we've got a great team of exercise physiologists, physio, psychology, etc. cetera, um, nine clinic rooms. And so, being an over 50s clinic with that age group, we do get a lot of people cancer. Yeah, so that's what I'm currently doing. And then I myself um, went through cancer. I was diagnosed in 2020 and I knew the importance. Um, exercise during my treatment and because I had surgery and majority of my chemo in lockdown I needed to go to appointments by myself. I couldn't see my friends um, because it was lockdown Uh, and I'd never really been on social media before. So I took to Instagram to try to find um, people. Like the first things I did was um Start looking for someone who'd exercised to do their treatment because I knew it was going to be hard. And back then, really, a lot of people I only found, I could only find a few people, I guess, filming myself exercise um, and my thoughts as I went through. And it was kind of a shortcut way to let all my family and friends know what was going on rather than having to, you know, phone all these individual people. it was there to try to promote the idea of exercise, but it also became a bit of an accountability thing as well. So I found that if I went you know a week without posting, I'd get messages from people saying, "Where have you been? You know um, your videos are helping me, so that would make me yeah, so the accountability as well. and connection, of course, I was a patient, I was scared, I was vulnerable, so I connected with um people from all around the world who are going through the same uh, treatment as me. Uh, I found a chemo twin who's from Arkansas and I've invited her to come out to the Olympics in 2032, but we'd been diagnosed pretty much at the same time and we'd have our chemos on the same day. But there was other days I'd be sitting in chemo just chatting away on Instagram to people who were having their chemo but on the other side of the world. It was a connection thing as well because it was, you know, lockdown.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah. And then when I finished my active treatment, I didn't know really know what to do with my page, but then I had messages from people saying, please keep posting. Because it had basically been an exercise look. It was just, if you scroll back, first post from 2020, it's just basically all my power lifting, you know, videos that my power lifting coach took and documented exactly what I'd done, what weights, how many reps, how many sets and how I was feeling. So it's kind of like a, a video blog and then when I you know finished active treatment I then kind of switched and then started using my health background to start providing information to cancer patients because I was actually shocked and how little information people are given about the role of exercise um, and also shocked at the misinformation given even my oncology provided so it then became you know My mission in life now is to promote cancer exercise medicine.
0: Yeah. Let me ask you, you know, how important is it? You know, because I think this is an area that gets overlooked a lot. How important is exercise in connection with, you know, cancer and trying to, you know, live a healthy life?
1: Exercise is as important as all your other treatments. It is as important as your chemo, your radiation, your targeted therapy, your surgery, etc. So it's not something that's you know, nice to do, it's a must do. So there's a strong body of evidence showing the benefits of exercise, um, not only in reducing the side effects of cancer and its treatment, so reducing side effects like anxiety, depression, fatigue, you know, improving quality of life, improving physical function, improving bone density. There's also evidence that it insists with um, enhancing tumour suppression. So getting more of the medicine into your tumours um, and, you know, enhancing, you know, working synergistically chemo, irradiation radiation to further enhance um, tumour suppression. And then after treatment, if you're lucky enough not to need lifelong treatment, but you're after that active treatment, reducing the risk of recurrence. There's so much research going on at the moment. Uh, you know, there's research where people are sitting in the chemo suite, pedaling on an exercise bike while the chemo is dripping through their veins. So in some parts of Australia, there's a gym co-located in the cancer center. So you share a waiting room, chemo radiation gym. And you go when you finish your treatment, you go to the gym and you have your exercise supervised by an exercise physiologist. So that's something that chemo radiation to gym Will probably be a standard of care in maybe 30 years. You know, you know, changes to medical systems take time. Um, but it's certainly not a standard and now. And a lot of places that were planning that rollout of that, you know, you know, radiation to gym model, um, a lot of them, it was put on hold due to COVID. Yeah. Yeah. And my oncologist was all over exercise medicine. When the first time we met, she went through you know, it was an hour and a half appointment. She went through the whole, you know, treatment plan. Um, you know, I was like, I was in a shock. Like, what's just happened? It was 2020, man. No <laughs> locked down the whole chaos of America. So she went, you know, she went through the whole chemo radiation. And, and then um, towards the end of the appointment, she said, you have to exercise. Um, and she said, I'm actually really sorry. If you were in Western Australia, you would go straight from here to the gym supervised by exercise but we don't have that here, so I want you to exercise. Um, and so and she said it gets more medicine into the tumours. It helps with that. So, yeah, so she was very supportive and all the nurses in the Cancer Centre were great and the radiation oncologist was the same, very supportive of exercise. Um, mm-hmm. I used to whip out my phone and show them my latest powerlifting video. And they'd ask for it as well. You know, the oncologist would come around and go, all right, show me what you've been doing. And I'd.
0: (laughs) Well, Helen, let me ask you, you know, it's important, you know, because the mindset before is, you know, you want to rest and not give your body too much stress and whatnot. But now what we're hearing is that exercise can help the treatments along, actually a better outcome. And so listening to you, you're talking about you're doing some power lifting and things like that. How did you feel during your treatments as you were exercising?
1: Well, can I just say, it is a mindset. I think I'm a lot more, I don't know—you want to use the word harsh, a little bit more blunt with my patients than perhaps my colleagues are, but you need to have that mindset. Chemo makes you feel like a rubbish. Radiation's not exactly fun either. But you don't wake up in the morning and go, oh, I'm too tired. I don't feel like it and skip it. And it's the same with exercise. You have to have that medicine. You have to have that mindset that it is a medicine and I particularly want to do chemo, but I do it. I don't particularly want to go exercise, but I will do it. The difference is chemo makes you feel, and exercise actually makes you feel, you know, better. So I think chemo, you know, there is evidence of people that exercise have less um, side effects and less fatigue. Um, I was very fatigued, but I think, you know, fatigue is very, very complex. Um, It's not just about the medicine, it's psychosocial stuff going on. And I think because it was in lockdown and the craziness of 2020, probably, you know, that wasn't really good for my mental health. So I was really, really fatigued. And so some days I was resting most of the day and I'd do my powerlifting workout and go for a walk and then maybe try to cook dinner. So it was really hard, but so was chemo and so was radiation. But it had huge dental benefits. So just prior to my diagnosis, I'd actually signed up for my first powerlifting competition, but it got cancelled because of lockdown. Um, and then I had my surgery first, so I wasn't allowed to do any lifting um, you know, for a few weeks after that. So I went back quite deconditioned when I started my powerlifting And even though I was going through chemo, I was getting stronger every week. So it was a great mental boost to know, you know, I started off just deadlifting dumbbells and getting stronger and stronger. And I'd actually decided the number just popped into my head. I was like, on a deadlift, 80 kilograms. Um, it wasn't as strong as I had been before, but I just that number popped into my head. And so sometimes. When I didn't want to go power lift, I'd just go eighty. You know, so it was really a good mental boost. Yeah, and I did it after fifteen rounds of chemo. <laughs> I managed to pick up, you know, eighty kilos. It was good to see that even though I was going through this awful treatment, that I was getting um, stronger every week. Yeah.
0: Well, Helen, I, I really want to highlight this, you know, because the listeners are tuning in here. You get a breast surgery, as you talked about. You're limited on what you can do and and what you can lift. And for how long? So how long did you wait? How did you work yourself into that? I think that's an important piece. Right now, it just sounds like, okay, you had surgery and all of a sudden you went right into lifting. How did the process work here for those that are listening in?
1: Depends on what procedure you have. So because I had mastectomy with nil reconstruction, it was a very short recovery time. So number one is you listen to your surgeon's guidelines. So my surgeon said three to four weeks. I had the full auxiliary clearance as well. Um, Yeah, so she said three to four weeks, and, of course, three to four weeks meant three weeks to me. (laughs) And then because I'm a, a physio and also previously worked as a lymphedema therapist, no upper limit to what you can lift. So lifting with lymph nodes surgery is fine as long as you start low, monitor for signs and symptoms, progress slow. And then see a lymphedema therapist if there's any issues. And I actually did self refer to a lymphedema therapist for measurement and monitoring. So because I'm a physio, I've worked in cancer care, in you know hospitals, seeing people straight after their breast surgery. So I worked as a lymphedema therapist. Um, so initially my first few weeks I was just on my own at home because I was still in lockdown. And luckily I had a home gym. Um, also work had been very generous. They'd loaned me. Um, Some equipment from work because it was shut. So I had this very expensive equipment at home. Yeah. And also the powerlifting gym had loaned equipment out because they were like all shut. So they basically loaned out all the equipment to all the members. Um, So I had some equipment at home. So I just started with the lightest possible weight available to me, which was 140 kilos, which is maybe two and a half pounds, three pounds. Um, And I just went from there. So, of course, I was doing the exercises that I'd been given in hospital. By the physio. I was doing those exercises four times a day. And then I, I started with the weights and then I just um, progressed. And then when the gyms uh, reopened, I started seeing my powerlifting coach. So I was lifting weights four days a week. It was very expensive, but I considered it a key part of my medical care. Um, I saw my powerlifting coach twice a week during chemo. And then I trained um, at my local gym twice a week. So I was going to two different gyms and both gyms were incredibly supportive. The members were really supportive. I put it in my diary the same as like a king on radiation. Yeah. The same with my walks. So I, I needed to engage a lot of support as well from yeah. you know my family and friends. Um it's funny because initially I was just posting my powerlifting workouts. I ended up with quite a big powerlifting following. Um, I think they were just using me for inspiration. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, do you know what was funny? This is like a fangirl moment. I don't know. Do you watch um, uh, UFC, like MMA at all?
0: You know, not much.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I'll just tell you one of my heroes is Rose Nana Yunus, And I wrote a comment, I sent her a message, and she started following me and commenting on my posts. She's a famous American athlete. She's just, you know, she's a champion fighter. And, um, She'd just write, you know, well done or whatever. And I'd be like, oh, oh, oh roast ever And this is when I had like 50 followers on my page. I'd be like, oh, roast ever you yes. just commented. So it was really uh, helped me, you know, keep going. So, Absolutely. Um, and I also, again, I was, I was looking for cancer exercise influencers um, because it was hard and I needed somebody ahead of me on the journey to help me through. So the first one I found was she's from Zambia. And her name on Instagram is Conquering Cancer in Heels. And I just binge watched every video. And she, she'd she write about how she felt awful, but she still had to do it. And I remember I binge watched her channel so much I had numb, my hand went numb from, you know, I'd just be like, Num. and then I found um, another a woman from Atlanta. One day I was just scrolling through and I saw this magnificent woman with her bald head doing some CrossFit stuff you know, I think encouraged each other with their exercise during treatment. Yeah. I don't know whether there's more people posting about it or whether my search strategy has got better. So, Well,
0: you know, it's important. It's important, Helen, that we really, you know, we tackle this. Yeah. I think a lot of times, you know, the standard of care, you know, radiation, chemo, you know, immunotherapy, yeah. whatever you're having, and exercise is never within that regimen. And so here, When you're talking about lifting and you're already going to be tired because of those other treatments, engaging, okay, exercises in that, what was the benefit to you that you noticed, you know, getting through the treatments? Was it recovery that was happening a lot faster? What was your benefit?
1: Um, Well, according to my oncologist, I breezed through treatment, It didn't. Look, we've got evidence showing there's less complications, less hospitalizations, you know, less side effects. Um, My immune function stayed normal the whole way through. It skirted near the line. Like, you know, it kind of, it did dip. My immune function was normal throughout it. So I was, you know, oncologist kept saying, I've been telling everybody about you. Like this just doesn't happen. (laughs) Because
0: that is one of the biggest fears, you know, when you're getting chemo is, oh my goodness, your immune system, you don't want to be susceptible to any type of, you know,
1: infection. Yeah. I'll just tell you, it was perfect timing by me of when I had my treatment because um, Australia had, our borders were shut for 18 months. It was a really long time. Our borders were shut, international borders, but also our state borders were shut. Um, And our state basically two cases of COVID in the whole state. So while everyone else was having rampant COVID, yeah, and then everybody was very clean. So it was a time when everybody was, you know, everyone's back to their normal slacking off. But everyone was super clean. Everyone was, like, washing their hands, you know, wiping down equipment at the gym. So if I had to go through the same thing now. You know, COVID, it's out and about in our community. I wouldn't go to a gym. I would just work out at home. So, yeah, that's a fair. And it's not even just COVID. It's all the other thing, you know, you know, all flus and colds and gastroes and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. Um, I can't remember what the question was. <laughs> um, no. Yeah, now talking about the exercise. So the benefits for me is I talked about it depended on the day I was having, but I came up with a very unofficial scale. of yeah, you know, I've got a dog that I walk and I'd say how many, Bags of dog poop, do I feel like today? And so, just say before exercise, I feel like I feel like 10 bags of dog poop. And then I do my exercise, I'd only feel like two bags of dog poop. So, it made me feel on my awful days, it made me feel less awful. And on my not so bad days, it definitely gave me a boost, both, you know, energy wise and uh, mental health wise. But, you know, you're talking about. It's not always spoken about. We'll talk about Australian guidelines and then American guidelines. Australia, back in 2018, was the first country to come up with a position statement about exercise, which says that exercise should be embedded as a standard part of cancer care. All members of the health team to promote exercise, and best practice is to refer to a physiotherapist or an exercise physiologist um, for supervised exercise. And then the guidelines are saying avoid inactivity, try to return to your daily activities as soon as possible, work up to and then maintain aerobic exercise of moderate to vigorous intensity, so 150 minutes per week of moderate or 75 minutes per week of vigorous, and two to three sessions of resistance training two to three times per week. So that's in the Australian guidelines. And as I said, my experience was all members of my health team certainly did promote, you know, the exercise medicine. But that's the hospital where I was in, friends who were in a hospital, you know, a couple of miles away. Nobody spoke about it at all, so it's not widespread. But then ASCO last year came out and said oncology providers should, not maybe, should promote regular aerobic and resistance training during active treatment with curative intent. It's there in the guidelines, but I've been working as a health professional for 28 years, and I know it takes time. There's research out there saying that, you know, from a time that you know a guideline is released, it takes about 17 years on average for it to be a standard of care. Uh, some things take longer. So it's going to take time. But if you're the one with cancer now, you don't have time. So this is where a lot of people take to social media to find information. And the messages I get from people saying, oh, I didn't know that exercise till I found your page. You know, we've got guidelines and we've got the research saying it's as important as your chemo radiation, et cetera.
0: So this is important, Helen, right? I mean, this types of conversations are extremely important. So many people are being diagnosed today. And because of that, you know, exercise is not necessarily in the forefront of of one of the things you you need to get. Obviously, right? Depending on your diagnosis, right, that you're going to be prescribed chemo, radiation, surgery or something to that effect. But to say, hey, exercise is something that needs to be prescribed as well is not necessarily there. So You speaking on this is very important. And to hear how you felt, yeah, you had actually bad days, like As everyone would have bad days, having chemo or radiation, feeling fatigue or whatnot. But that didn't prevent you from exercising is what I'm listening to. And overall, you're saying that your oncologist talked about your recovery, right? Oh, you're frozen. Yeah. And so then your oncologist talked about your recovery and how well you were doing. Is that correct?
1: Oh, yes. Yes, yeah. I became her poster girl. <laughs> uh, uh, I did get shingles in there. <laughs> I managed to <laughs> get pick, what, shingles. Yes, so I'm going to, I'll just paraphrase the quote. I won't get it exactly right, but um, Professor me is this amazing exercise physiologist and cancer exercise researcher from Australia. And again, I think that was back in 2017, 2018. She said, if exercise was a pill, every oncologist would prescribe it, every cancer patient would demand it, and governments would subsidize it because of the benefits of exercise. So that's just the mindset. I'm telling you, it's hard. It's not like I felt absolutely fantastic and skipped through treatment. I felt really awful. I kept a journal and at one point at the back of it, I listed every side effect that I'd had. <laughs> it's, not, it's good. I'd I've forgotten, I've forgotten about it. I was looking through back through my journal and it like it took up the whole page. You know, like I, I'd forgotten that I lost some t- you know, I had chemo nails, I had nausea, or I had brief works, you know, the, this very long list. Um, and it was hard. And I would say it's probably the hardest thing I've a from chemo and all that exercising during it was the hardest thing that I have done. It was really, really hard. But I think because I was a health professional, um, lots of knowledge about all the guidelines and the research and the supportive oncology team, I just knew that I had to do it. It was non-negotiable. So, yeah.
0: I love that. I love that about you. You've taken that piece, exercise, into your own hands and not, not just blindly, right? Like you talked about, there's guidelines and things like that about it. It's nice to see. And it's nice for those that are listening in to hear this, to say, hey, you know what? Some type of resistance training or aerobic type training, you know, start there. It doesn't have to be something that extremely major. We're talking about two and a half pounds, some of the things that you kind of started with and then you progressed. But knowing that the overall benefit is going to be the best outcome for you. Yep. why you might want to have that in your regimen and make sure you speak to your physician about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Talk to your physician. And the best is get um, a referral to someone, either a fitness professional, physical therapist, exercise physiologist who can help you with exercise. So we talk about self-efficacy of exercise, you know whether you know what you're doing, you're confident to do it. Since I finished my treatment, I met all these people before their treatment were hiking, powerlifting, crossfitting, and they have just kept it up you know, during their treatment on their own without support from their oncology team because they've gone and done their reading and far more inspirational than anything that I did because I've done it without support. You know, I had support of my oncology team and my powerlifting coach, and these people are doing it, you know, on their own. I'm like, they inspire me because I still have days where I don't want to exercise. Um, talking about motivation as well, as a rule, When you're diagnosed with cancer, you want to live. So staying alive is a very powerful motivator. And I watched this documentary that was released back in 2016, um, ABC Catalyst. So it's an Australian documentary. They talked about a mouse study and the mice had cancer and they were randomized into two groups. One group could run around on the exercise wheel whenever they wanted to and the other group was sedentary. And I think it was after about eight weeks they then dissected the mice and had a look at the tumours. And the mice um, who'd exercised, their tumours were at least 60% smaller. Now, that statistic, I think, yeah, it's an impressive statistic, but when you're looking at the photo of the mice, like that was very motivating to me. Even though I'm a health professional, I know we're not mice, (laughs) Um, but looking at that when I really didn't feel like it, it's like, yeah, yeah, I know it's going to help my fatigue, You know, to help me feel better, whatever. It's like, oh, it might help me not be dead. Yes, I'm going to get up and go. So that was a powerful motivator. Um, that's an area of research that's, that's still happening in humans. Well, I know one uh, small trial in esophageal cancer patients where they had neoadjuvant chemo, so the chemo before their surgery, The exercise group versus the non-exercise group and the group that exercised had greater shrinkage of their tumors. So
0: here we go. And so, you know, I tell you what, Helen, I listening to you here and we're talking about exercise and the benefits of that. How did your family, let's talk about the support, you know, of your family and friends? Because I heard you say, hey, I took to social media and that helped me. How did the support in your family and friends at a time like this? um benefit you?
1: Uh well well you brista you've got to find the right person to give you the support. So um before I started my chemo, I did say to my family, I have to exercise. You have to like I'll pick my powerlifting up. You have to make me go for a walk every day. And I, I'd do two walks a day, short walk in the morning, you know, half an hour in the morning, half an hour in the evening. Um, and I said, but you have to make me go. It doesn't matter how much I'm whinging and complaining, you have to make me go. And my husband said, well, that sounds silly. You should just rest. I'm like, okay, you're sat. <laughs> but then my eldest, I've got three sons. My eldest son, he was 21 at the time. He said, I'll do that, mum. And so I was like, okay, the morning walk, I could get motivated. But the afternoon ones, he'd be like, right, got to go, mum. Because it was lockdown, he was working from home. So he would drag me. Um, you know, forced me out the door. And I always felt better after about five minutes. Yeah. He'd walk behind me yelling out David Goggins quotes. <laughs> I don't know if you're a David Goggins fan. He's a military guy. I love him. I saw him live. this year. Yeah. Um, my husband, like, he supported me in feel Like, yeah, you go do what you've got to do. He was concerned saying, oh, I've got to rest. But I was like, no, I have to do this. So he was happy for me to go and do what I needed to do, but he didn't want to drag me out the door, not what he wanted to do, um, and that was fine. And then a lot of my, my friends are health professionals. Um, so while we were in lockdown in that early phase, one of my friends said, right, here's the home gym equipment I've got. We're going to meet on Zoom every week on Saturday and you're going to write the program and we'll exercise together. So because she knew I needed some meaning and purpose, um so that was really good. And again, on those days I'd wake up and I would just feel really bad. Um but because I knew I was meeting my friend on Zoom, I'd go and you know, put some makeup on and get dressed. And we'd had the routine, it would be like the first we'd set the timer, 15 minutes of just gossip, what have you been up to this week? Then the exercise program, and then another few minutes of chat and then we would go. So that was crucial support. Um, during lockdown because my mood was quite low. We locked down job loss and cancer as a delightful trio of, <laughs> yeah, that was important. And then again, um, we would meet, but it wouldn't just be meeting at the coffee shop. It would be we'll go for a hike first and then depending on the short walk or a longer walk, depending on on how I was feeling. Yeah. Again, with the context that the borders were shut, Everybody was very clean and there was no COVID in the community. So sure. yeah, I probably wouldn't do that today. Probably I'd go for a walk with them, but not go to the puppy shop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, so it really was an important factor to be able to have these things implemented into your routine. You know, one, your son came in and he was there for you and supported you. Yes. He had a friend on, on the Zoom. So for those that are listening in, You know, we always talk about getting the right support or finding your support team and how important that is. is just as important as almost the treatment, right, as for for the mental health aspect of it is what we're listening to Helen speak about. It's nice that you share that with us. You know, walk us through a little bit of the Helen before she was treated or diagnosed with cancer compared to the Helen that's in front of us today.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, life was good. And I knew life was good. I'd be working in palliative care. I've worked in rehab where people going about their life were hit with the truck and their life changed forever. So I think I had a pretty good appreciation of life. Um, at that stage, two of my children were adults and one was nearing the end of his school. Um, you know, strong marriage. Yeah, life was ticking along well and then got diagnosed. And then afterwards, Life is good. I don't think I'm anyone who particularly thinks that cancer has dramatically changed me. I think I had a pretty good understanding of the preciousness of life. Uh, I think what I've learned, I'm probably more assertive now. Um, I just don't have energy to put up with nonsense anymore. You know, a bit of a people pleaser personality, a bit of me has been um, moulded. Um, I think I'm definitely better at my job now from, uh, you know, from the outside looking in, I could see people going through really difficult things or difficult times and not understand how they could do it. And I think I'm, so I'm definitely better at my job. Yeah. I don't have anything particularly inspirational to like, you know, a pile of poop.
0: I don't know if it's inspirational versus, you know, just your perspective. And yeah. so you really talked, you really touched on it right now, right? I mean, understanding how people go through life and struggle. Now you look yeah. at that differently now because now you've gone through something like that and understand sure. there's a struggle behind it.
1: Yeah. And I think I have um, a greater understanding of all those psychosocial issues. Uh, I'd never heard of terminology like ghosting toxic positivity, um, you know, cancer muggles, grief tourism. I've had patients tell me stories and now I can go, ah, that's grief tourism, oh, that's ghosting. And I know my patients really appreciate that when I speak to them about that. So um, what happened with me, I had my cancer treatment about, it was about a mile, you know, just under two kilometres from where I work in the cancer centre. So I saw quite a few of my patients there. So, of course, you know, word spread. um, We've got people that attend our exercise classes and they've been coming, you know, two, three times a week, five years. I think we've got maybe 900 regular attendees. So, of course, when I came back to work, everybody knew that I'd had cancer. I mean, my hair was like, you know, (laughs) this short. So what happened was all these people that I didn't realise that they had a cancer history. Because, you know, in the exercise class, you haven't necessarily done their you know, you might have 15, 20 people in there and um, you didn't do their initial assessment. So you don't know that they've got a cancer history. Suddenly all the cancer survivors came out of the woodwork to come and I almost became like their therapist. You know, they'd come and tell me, you know, their stories. All the cancer patients, you know, who were going through their treatment would come and they'd share with me things they would not have shared with me before. You know, I then became, I was a health professional, but now I was a, I was one of them. I was part of their community. So they'd come and tell me things. And, you know, I remember one woman, she's about 60, saying my best friend of 45 years, um, she hasn't contacted me. Like she contact me at all during the entire treatment. Then the one time she did contact me, she told me that I should be grateful because I was 60 and I wasn't a 20-year-old, and at least I had children. I'm like, okay, so that's got a name. That's called ghosting, and then it's also called toxic positivity. She's like, well, yeah, I'm glad that I got it at 60 and not at 20. Really feel for these young 20-year-olds. I'm like, yeah, but you're still allowed to say that this was really awful. You don't have to say, oh, you know. Yeah, you can say, yeah, it's better now than at 20, so you've just been subject to ghosting toxic positivity. It's got a name. And so then she was like, it's got a name? I'm like, yeah, it's really common. That's why it's got a nickname. Have you heard Cancer Muggle? She's like, no, what's that? The Urban Dictionary definition is people who think they know, um, you know, about cancer, but they don't. It's got some swear words in there. Yeah. And so then she she felt better. She felt better knowing that it's a terminology. So that's come out when people started, you know, saying things. I'll, and then I'll show people me Pick my person because, you know, um. You probably know Cancer Patient. Do you know the Cancer Patient on Instagram? In yeah, zero. the OG. Yeah, and now there's lots of great meme pages. But I'll, I'll just pull out memes. I've, I've screenshotted my favourite. And, um, you know, you've pulled, I mean, some of them are bigger scale. so I'll pick my person and I'll show them the memes and they'll just fall about laughing. Yeah, and then I'll show my colleagues and they'll go Can't joke about that. That's not funny. and uh, that's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, yeah. And I found that mutually therapeutic, even though I was listening to them. And I'm I'm also I can't dump on. I can't talk about myself in that context of being the health professional. But you know, them sharing their stories, I find therapeutic. And then being able to tell them about these means and that these things have got names makes them feel better because it's it's human nature. Any trauma or tragedy that humans are generally not very good. Um, well, not all humans, maybe Westerners are not very good at coping with it. So um I did read a lot of inspirational books, not by cancer survivors, but just inspirational people, you know, during my treatment, which helped. And one of them, um, Turia Pitt is, you know, very, very famous Australian. Um, she was doing this like ultra outback running race. And yeah, a running race that should have been cancelled. And then the fires came through and she had burns to something dripping like 80% of her body, you know, lost most of her fingers. And yet she's come back and she got back and did triathlons, Um, you know. So it's very, very inspirational. But I'm reading it, I'm going, she got ghosted. Like she's reading about, and that was a burn, you know, that was a cancer that was burnt. And I'm like, oh, it was the same thing the great tourism, the ghosting, the, um toxic positivity all that you know came through in her story and then rehab as well with people that have had spinal cord injuries or you know whatever you know people are rehab. it's that same thing that i think you know humans aren't necessarily good at dealing with tragedy or trauma they don't know what to do or say so yeah
0: it's very common you know it's difficult what do i say i don't know how to deal with this and, and you know it's we see it a lot right helen Yeah. But what I do love about you is that you have found a way to maintain who you are, but you've also taken control of your life also and your treatments. And I say that because now you just, you're on your way to go on a trip, right? And so talk to me a little bit about that. So what are you going for? How long? You're you're under treatment, but you're going, you're going away.
1: Yeah, yeah. So when I was going through treatment, I wrote a bucket list <laughs> um, of everything I wanted to do. So I've been slowly working through it. But one of the things that kept coming up was um, I grew up in an outback city. So I wanted to go to the Outback. Um, I wanted to see the stars. There's nothing like the stars in the Outback because there's no light pollution. They're just, you know, out of this world. Just pictured myself, you know, lying down, you know, looking at the stars in the Outback um i wanted to do a road trip so i'm just about to drive to Perth, which is on the other side of the country to visit very dear friend so it's um about four thousand six hundred kilometers each way two and a half thousand miles each way hundred hour round trip <laughs> yeah so i'm doing it on my own i've just come back and my husband and i had a lovely road trip um which was lovely and yeah we did lots of Hiking or bushwalking, yeah. So I'm taking off. I'm leaving in a couple of days, so I'm really excited about that. Um, I will keep filming. I guess one of the things that I have found that that is a hobby. Um, you know, making reels, <laughs> making, making videos, um, running around the, the bush doing silly things. So uh, I think uh, they call it the Australian irreverent humour. <laughs> um, I'll make some content. I've got ideas that pop into my head, so I'll keep making content. But um, I'll probably be um, uncontactable for a lot of the time because the outback uh, there's often no um, phone coverage. I'm really looking forward to driving across Nullarbor Plain. Yep, they've got this one stretch Australia's straightest road. It's a hundred miles. That's dead straight. And I'm like, well, now if the wheel alignment on the car is good. And I I sent the cruise control that I had on the (laughs) staff. Yeah, yeah. I've been watching um, the Wolf Creek movies. I don't know if you've ever seen Wolf Creek movies. No. (laughs) They're horror movies. It's based on a very, very, very loosely on an actual serial killer that, uh, yeah, so it's just a serial killer, um, you know, terrorising and murdering people in the outback.
0: Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness.
1: <laughs> More way to for I'd say
0: yeah. Such the convenient. <laughs>
1: yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. So I've, you know, there's parts where I need to do everything like my own water, my own toilet, yeah, my own fuel. There's parts where there's just there's nothing. Yeah.
0: What yeah. do these trips do for you? You know, is there something um, that these trips do for you?
1: I think I spoke about it as well that I did a road trip between chemo and radiation with my son at the time who was 16 and his best friend came as well on this road trip. Um, I don't know, I, maybe because I grew up in the bush. I grew up in the outback. Um, you know, I, at one point in school I had a very terrible history teacher who just read from the textbook. So I used to skip school and go play in the bush. <laughs> I never got caught. I think I just like being in the bush and I like bushwalking, especially on challenging trails. Um, I'm not very good at meditating or relaxing. Um, I find it not relaxing at all. I'm a terrible, I've tried, I'm not that good. But when you're walking up or down a very steep trail, all you can think about is where your feet are going. So that you don't fall over. You have to have mindfulness. Like I, I try to practice mindfulness. I'm not particularly good at it, except you're forced to when you're going up and steep. Um, yeah, so it's it's like a, a moving meditation, it's mindfulness. Um, I love birds, and it's something as a kid I had bungees or bungee regards um, or had other birds, and I'd kind of forgotten my love of birds, and then there's a big influencer called No Grief Drew out. She loves birds. I'm pretty sure she's got an Australian bird as a pet. I think she might have a cockatiel. i not 100% accurate. But because she loves birds so much, that helped me with my mindfulness. I think she's obsessed with birds and I think she's pretty obsessed with Australian birds. So now when I go for walks at, you know, and again in the bush, I'm looking out and I'll try and take photos. You know, when there's a couple of hundred cockatoos crawling around on a grassy area, I'll just stop and look and, you know, take some video footage. I just find it very um, relaxing. So, and the same with, you know, seeing wallabies pop around is pretty special, even though I'm Australian and you see them all the time. It's still, I don't know, I just love the outback. Um, I won't be moving it there anytime too. Getting out, quite an introvert. So, being away from people as well, like, you know, my job, um, you know, I'll often, Talk to you know hundred people a day at work through the of the exercise classes, and like I love my job, but one of my colleagues describes it brilliantly. He says you get social fatigue, even if you're quite an extroverted person, you do get social fatigue um, talking to people all day. And so I think it's just good to get away and and recharge. Yeah,
0: recharge. absolutely.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So Helen, I, I appreciate you so much for coming here at All Talk Oncology and telling your story and. It's been such an empowerment for those that are going to be listening in because we understand the power of exercise when it comes to treatment. We understand the things that you have utilized, you know, to help you along the way. We hope that that helps the next person on their journey. And so thank you so much for coming on here on All Talk Oncology. Before we let you go here, what would you like to say? Anything to the listeners or maybe giving them something? Um,
1: Exercise is cancer medicine. You need that mindset. If you're struggling, get your a referral to a fitness professional, physical therapist, physio, exercise physiologist to help you on your way. And it's hard. Give yourself a pat on the back for anything you do. So if you're having a bad day and all you can manage is to walk to the mailbox and back, well done. You've done a great job. And even short bursts of exercise are helpful and beneficial. So, yeah, avoid an all-or-nothing mindset. Just do what you can manage. Give yourself a pat on the back. And for those that are exercising, you know, post their videos, you're so inspiring. You never know that you can help. So if you've got a public page and you're happy to do it, yeah, post them because you'll be helping the next person.
0: Thank you so much, Helen.
1: Okay. Thank you, (laughs) Kitty.
0: Ellen Beely here on our show here. Thank you so much for joining us here at All Talk Oncology. And as I say to all our guests every single time, you're not alone in this. We're in this together. This is Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. Your Cancer Guy. Until again, I'm out. So again, I want to thank everyone who tuned in today. Here's where you will find up-to-date cancer discussions with industry experts and leading professionals that can help you in your cancer fight. You are not alone in this. We are in this together. I am your host, Kenny Perkins, a.k.a. The Cancer Guy. And until again, I'm out.